Happy New Year and welcome back to That Oxford Girl podcast. I hope you've had a wonderful festive period. I know this is the time of year when Oxford send out their A-level offers, so if you were among those celebrating at the moment, I, along with all the team at That Oxford Girl, would like to send you our congratulations. I'm Poddy Wilson, and I am the host of this podcast, where each week I invite on a current Oxford student to discuss their time at the university. This week, my guest is Karis Hogan. Karis is in her third year at St Hilda's College studying psychology and linguistics, and I can't wait to speak to her about her interdisciplinary course, her work on enacting policies, and her work as president of her college's ball. I'm joined now by Karis Hogan, who is in her third year studying psychology and linguistics at St Hilda's. Thank you very much for speaking to me. Thank you so much for having me on. So I'd like to know a bit more about your decision to apply to Oxford in the first place and your decision to apply for quite a niche course. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, in terms of applying to Oxford in the first place, I honestly never thought I would apply to Oxford. In fact, Cambridge was my my first bet, which maybe I shouldn't be saying on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> in all honesty, was um, my what I, where I thought I would apply. But I never thought in the first place that I would apply to either of them. Um, and then during the application process, uh, you know, my school would be trying to push me in the direction of going to uh, Oxbridge and I was I was super against it until I remembered this like one experience uh, in like my year 10 or I have a feeling it must have been some kind of year 10 parents evening and I was a head girl at the time and I was making tears and coffees for the the teachers because that's what you did when you were head girl you organized like mm-hmm. a little prefect team to deliver, deliver teas and coffees during parents evening mm-hmm. and I remember coming across my um, brother's form tutor and it's worth saying at this point that my brother had just got into Oxford at that point he went to Somerville College um, and I remember talking to my brother's form tutor and my brother's form tutor talking about my brother having just got in and him saying like oh so are you going to be the next one and I said like sir like he's the genius in the family like that's that's not me like I'm I'm no way am I going to to Oxford or Cambridge like I'm, I'm very happy you know going wherever it will take me and he looked me dead in the eye and he said like Karis like get that out of your head right now that you are not good enough for those places and like for some reason like it just came back to me during the application process and so like Mr Jones is the reason that I am in Oxford (laughs) um but it was a yeah it was a really sweet moment and I think in terms of the course with psychology and linguistics it's definitely niche this kind of psychology philosophy and linguistics course um, I think I self-taught psychology for A-level. There was a big drama with my college and then I decided that I would teach myself psychology. So I did it purely from books and things. And I just loved it. And I thought if I love it this much that I like can do it completely from books that, and, you know, have such a passion for it, then surely that will, you know, show that I'm motivated enough to do it at uni and that's going to keep me going through uni. Um, but then part of me loves languages and I loved doing German for A-level and I self-taught French for GCSE as well. My mum speaks um, French and German. That was what her degree was in. And part of me just couldn't couldn't let languages go. And so I found the psychology and linguistics course. And while, you know, every linguistics tutor will hate the connection between kind of 
linguistics and learning languages because they're very distinct things. I liked the idea that doing linguistics meant I was kind of connected to languages still in some way. Mm. Um, and the more I looked into it, the more I thought it was super interesting. So I guess that's kind of why I'm here today. <laughs> yeah, that's so impressive. I really love hearing about that. So you constructed your personal statement in maybe not the most conventional way in terms of the works that you were using to inform your personal statement. Rather than looking at books, you're looking more at research, which is quite unexpected and a really interesting way of looking at things. So can you explain what your process was in putting together your personal statement? Yeah, I think I had a lot of anxiety when it came to the personal statement of um, looking at these reading lists that everyone kind of says about the same books. You know, for psychology, it's always Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. And I thought to myself that if I was yet another student who put Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, despite it being an amazing student, I would just make myself like one of the probably thousand psychology students who puts that on their personal statement every year. And so I was really lucky um, during my sixth form years to have uh, an experience with the UKRI, which is the UK Research and Innovation Council, um, which gives out grants to um, research uh, researchers in the UK who um, in this scenario were doing studies based on um, children and adolescent mental health. And so I was really lucky that I was able to talk about that in my personal statement and how it gave me an insight into um, kind of academia, into the research, you know, into um, where academia was in terms of children, adolescent mental health research, because these were new and in innovative kind of solutions to problems. Um, and that was super exciting. And then also, you know, having a, a very niche degree with psychology and linguistics meant I had to think a bit outside the box in terms of how I could uh, make the linguistics department happy when they looked at my personal statement uh, and I so I was trying to think to myself about how to um, put a nod a subtle nod to linguistics in my personal statement and so I did some research um, into Broca's area which is like a an area of our brain which is uh, stereotypically connected with production but um it's worth saying is not not completely just that despite the research because otherwise if anyone listens to this who's connected in any way to my psycholinguistics lectures I might <laughs> be attacked if I don't put a disclaimer in um and so I, I did a little nod to um psycholinguistics in there and the kind of language areas of the brain and so yeah it was a perhaps a, an unconventional way of doing a personal statement in the way that I didn't reference a book or a podcast or something mm. but I, I felt it was more me and I felt it was more reflective of um, the kind of individual things that I've done and it's why I kind of emphasize to people that um, you know the personal statements there's no kind of template for it they just want to know mm. why you're doing what you are um, and that's you know where I got to with it. Mm. And it's clearly paid off. I'm interested, did this come up in your interviews? And if so, how was it sort of discussed? In, in terms of my personal statement, in two of my interviews, they gave me an idea that they had ever read my personal statement. Um, one of which was done in an icebreaker fashion, which completely threw me off um, because I had mentioned in my interviews, uh, in my personal statement, sorry, that I'd written a blog um, and my icebreaker question was the interviewer saying, 
I also write blogs. Can you give me tips? Uh, which completely threw me off because that is not what you expect as a question in your Oxford interview <laughs> whatsoever. Maybe not. Um, I get along really well with this professor now, but it really threw me off uh, at the time. And I probably gave the worst answer in the world, but uh, it couldn't have been too bad in terms of the icebreaker. <laughs> and then in terms of the um, other interview, they never mentioned anything to do with, um, you know, Broca's area or um, aphasia or anything like that. Um, but it was my other linguistics interview um, where they said, because the opening line of my personal statement was about how psychology exists in a state of flux, like because mm -hmm. it's such a new science, it's constantly evolving. There's all of this new research coming in, which is disproving theories, it's coming up with new theories. And they asked whether um, linguistics is equally in a state of flux, which is Ooh. a really interesting question because yeah. I hadn't really considered it before. And I remember being really pleased with myself coming out of that interview because um, I thought about how uh, the word lockdown had meant a different thing to me, you know, a few years ago in terms of mm. our school used to have lockdown drills. But then, you know, we were during the COVID years that we were having this interview and I was saying about how the lockdown now had become the pandemic lockdown. And I remember mm. being really interested in that after the question. But, you know, so they did ask personal statement questions, but um, perhaps not the ones that I anticipated. <laughs> sure. What What sort of questions were they asking more of? I mean, the, those were the only two personal statement questions that I ever got. What I found with my interviews is that each discipline followed a certain pattern. Um, okay. So psychology was always, well, you, aside from the icebreaker questions, the psychology uh, interviews were always half on um, kind of interpreting data and forming hypotheses that give you data and you would um, have to form your hypothesis, then they'd give you data which effectively told you you were wrong, and you would have to right. make a hypothesis, and they would keep telling you you were wrong, and you would have to keep making hypotheses, um, which was fun if you could do it. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other half of it would be designing a study, and they would give you a scenario when you would design a study. And I found a very similar pattern in my linguistics interview, where um, usually some of it would be on a language that you don't know and either well I say translating it they don't expect you to translate languages you don't know they expect you to find patterns in that language which mean by logic you can kind of work out what they mean so either connecting them to an English translation or you know saying this word probably means car if you have the English translation next to it in the sentence and stuff sure um, okay and then the second half of the linguistics um, was more unpredictable, but it would usually have a um, either some kind of like English linguistics component, or would you know discuss a um, like a, a more modern theory in linguistics. I found so those are the the kind of patterns that I saw in my interviews, which seems to ring true from what I hear for psychology. But I think linguistics is a lot more variable from what I hear. And also for your applications, you had to take the TSA, which I know absolutely nothing about. And I'm very curious to know what it actually is. Yeah. So the TSA is uh, the thinking skills assessment, which is our aptitude test that we had to sit for um, psychology and linguistics. So I think psychologists generally have to take it, um, which is divided into two main parts. So the first part is completely multiple choice. And then the second part uh, is writing. 
And in the multiple choice, uh, it's kind of divided into two sections again, but the section, well, it's not divided into sections. It's divided effectively into two types of questions, half of which are mm-hmm. problem solving and the other half of critical thinking. So they'll give you okay. like, um, you know, some kind of argument and they'll say, what's the biggest flaw in this argument? You know, what conclusion can we take from this argument? Which of the following, if true, would... Um, be the biggest flaw in this argument etc etc and those are kind of fun um, because when you realize how to answer the questions they're quite nice to do yeah Um, problem solving was slightly harder for me personally because I'm not hugely mathsy I didn't do maths at A level I didn't do maths at AF so I found it slightly harder but it's it's not complex maths it's just you know that that was slightly more rusty for me and then the the writing component um was usually like a kind of persuasive writing thing like it was like how well can you argue a point and so they would give you um like a four prompts I think that you could choose from and you could you would either argue one way or the other and they would see like your style of writing and how well you would be able to kind of convince someone of your point of view. Wonderful. Um, so you did get into the course, you got into St Hilda's College. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about the college if you would. Yeah, I mean St Hilda's isn't one that people generally know, um, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, everyone, everyone will sit on this podcast and say that they love their college. Um, or at least I haven't heard of many people who don't like their college but I I genuinely adore St Hilda's I think it is such a beautiful college in the way that we're situated right by the river so you know during the summer we have our own pants and things that we can take out um it's really pretty and we can you know just sit and have picnics and things because we can walk on the grass in St Hilda's you know? Oh, I see. <laughs> um, a divisive topic. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're actually, we don't have any of those signs up with the aggressive do not walk on the grass signs. Um, and, you know, like, I think, I think what makes Hilda special is the community. Um, we're like, the, the students at St. Hilda's are called the, the Hilda Beasts. That's our nickname. Very nice. Um, which is a very fun nickname, but we're, everyone is so down to earth um and so friendly that like obviously everyone has their own friendship groups but you truly feel uh like you're a community in your year or as a college and um I think it's really really special I really like St Hilda's and I think we have amazing staff there um who you know really help kind of support this atmosphere of like you might be in Oxford and being in Oxford kind of by its nature is stressful sometimes but Mm. also like it doesn't have to be like there is welfare out there for you in St Hilda's they're really good at signposting you to places and like they're there to kind of help make these three or four years the best years that they can and I think like I mean every uni and every college should do that but I think St Hilda's in my opinion is particularly good at it. I mean, you must love your college because you've taken on the ultimate stress for it, which is that you are the ball president this year. How did you come to apply for that position and what does it entail? Yeah, so I was a logistics officer um, last year for the ball committee. 
um kind of applied on a whim because I didn't really know what logistics officer involved I think I applied for like four positions I effectively just said put me where you think I would be best suited and mm-hmm. <laughs> they chucked me in logistics which basically means for people who aren't familiar with logistics officer at least in St Hilda's Ball Committee that I was in charge of the marquee and toilets um so it was <laughs> the most fun on board committee last year but I had a a really really good team um I think our board president last year was really good um and so then it got around to this year and funnily enough last year's board president studied psychology and philosophy so he was also PPL um and I seem to remember him ambushing me outside of Tesco's one day and saying that I should apply and me thinking when the the applications opened that I had nothing to lose by it and that it would be a nice little creative outlet um Mm -hmm. for kind of something else to do alongside of the degree that I could put that um I think the ball is really special because on that night you know there's a lot of stress and things leading up to it and then you see everyone having the best night in something you've created and it's really special and even looking back on last year's photos um you know even just seeing like the marquee the toilets the photographers and things last year there's something really special about um being a part of that and I think I really wanted that kind of challenge with being board president with taking more on with you know forming my own committee and being able to help other people develop too um and yeah so that is the the ultimate stress but I think we have a really cool theme we have a really really good committee like I couldn't have chosen better people and so I think I think we're in good a good place right now I'm excited yeah I have to say we uh we had our first ball at my college because it's they do the commemoration ball so it's once every three years and it was the first one since the pandemic because obviously that all had to be cancelled and it was as you say it was such a special thing and I think it's a very sort of stereotypical thing for the university experience you sort of imagine going to the these summer balls um and yeah I wish you all the best of luck with that as the the stress continues to mount I imagine for the rest of the term (laughs) you've also been involved in a number of access and policy initiatives which sounds so impressive and I'd, I'd love it if you could explain sort of what they entail and and how you've been involved in them yeah, I mean, so for, for ages now, I've been involved in um, kind of disability policy work because um, I'm a disabled student myself. Um, and so ages ago, you know, back when I was in secondary school, I got involved with um, a charity called the National Children's Bureau. And I started work on a um, advisory group to the Department for Education, advising them on um, policy and law that they could put into place that meant that uh, children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities could um, access the best out of their education um, in a kind of like experts by experience group because obviously Mm -hmm. the majority of people making these rules and things in the Department of Education don't have lived experience of special educational needs and disabilities. And so then when I came to Oxford, I thought it was a really good opportunity to kind of um, use this access knowledge and um, the passion that I have around this, both, you know, through this existing work and my lived experience of it um, to kind of try and affect change in the university. So I've done Mm -hmm. like lots of different work within societies and things itself, 
um, in terms of like working in the Oxford Union, uh, in terms of like the ball, I've, to my knowledge, the first ball president, at least in St. Hilda's, that has a committee member, uh, like a vice president committee member specifically for access and inclusion, which I think is really mm -hmm. cool. Um, and it's not something that I think college balls do too often. Um, mm. At least in St. Hilda's, we haven't for the last few years. Um, so I think that's really fun and exciting. I've done some work in St. Hilda's um, and uni-wide just to try and make um, Oxford like the, the most welcoming and inclusive place that it can be. Because especially when you're a disabled student and, you know, Oxford is stressful, um and it it takes a lot out of you and when you're disabled and you have those additional challenges um obviously there's a kind of a bigger cost sometimes that comes to it mm -hmm. uh, from this tide of things and so I yeah I I guess that's kind of how I got involved in it and I think it's really special it's something that I'd love to continue doing for forever you know whatever I end up doing um for a career or whatever in the future I would love to continue kind of trying to affect changes in the places I'm in, even if it's just in small little ways. That's really wonderful. I, I wonder if you have any tips or advice for students who have been affected in different ways by disability in terms of applying to Oxford. I think my first thing would be to let them know sooner rather than later, because right. um, like if you get an offer, because I have like friends and things who came to Oxford and then declared uh disabilities only when they needed support and you know it takes a while to be registered and then sure. so the sooner you let them know that you know you might need support in the future like the sooner that that is in place for you when you do need it so that's the first thing I would say and in terms of the in like applying to Oxford itself I think like for one don't let the disability stop you because I think mm -hmm. especially as disabled students it's really easy to get into your head about like your your capacity and things um, and I think it's honest you know important to be honest with yourself about what you can and can't do but I think it's also important not to try and over complicate things and um, you know if you lose nothing by at least trying to apply or at least that was my mindset and I think in terms of like when you're here itself, apart from, um, you know, registering with the Disability Advisory Service early, I think, you know, build up that connection with tutors and things. Also, like, know that people are, want to help you. Like, it's very easy to feel yeah. isolated in Oxford, but the vast majority of people in Oxford would bend over backwards to help you if they could. Um, yeah. So, like, by keeping this open dialogue, by being honest with yourself and others when you're struggling, I think that's the best thing that you can do. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Now, you, like I, have been writing for That Oxford Girl since the beginning of your degree. Um, I wonder if you could give a bit of an overview of your experiences with writing for the blog and maybe also the, the rewards you've enjoyed as being part of the student ambassador community. No, definitely. So um, one of the ones that sticks in my mind, actually, is uh, press night tickets to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show in my first year. Oh, that's great. Um, one, because I'm a huge musical theatre fan, so I love the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And two, it's because I proposed to my college wife there. 
Um, I told we should her- probably explain the college marriage thing because that is a bit strange for, yes. <laughs> for non it's a, a very people. odd system that Oxford has that you like join with another person you like college marry them in quotation marks and then you're given children who like are effectively mentees to you the next yeah. year but um so I took my college wife as my plus one because she's a musical theatre fan but had never Lovely. watched Rocky Horror before so I have a, a little vlog of us in the interval where I'm like oh what do you think of Rocky Horror just because it's a guy so I can you know have it on video for when I get out my <laughs> box that I'd bought for cufflinks <gasps> and I'd put a little ring inside so I think oh my goodness a little thing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was my first thing. Um, That's the most well thought out college proposal I've ever heard. That's fantastic. <laughs> I I was quite proud of it. It was so much fun that show, uh, and obviously, so I wrote about Rocky Horror. I've been to see a few other shows, um, like Mother Goose. I think it was called. It was a pantomime with this Sir Ian mm-hmm. McKellen. I went to go see The Bodyguard last time. So lots of different theatre trips, um, and you know, like other bits and pieces too. Like I've gone to Faux. If, if that's how you pronounce oh, yes. it, I would say pho, but I don't know whether that's actually how you say it, um, which is a really nice restaurant up in Westgate, which is like the mm-hmm. shopping centre in Oxford. And if I'm honest, like, I think the biggest thing with that Oxford girl is like the community. Like I've loved our, yeah. our little like trips to, I remember like a team meeting at Oxo Bar, which was really fun. Yeah. Uh, or like another time that it might have been pho, it might have been somewhere else where like a, a group of ambassadors and I like had dinner. Um, I think it's it's really nice. And like everyone is super friendly. Like it's definitely something good to get involved with. And like, you know, a term, uh, a blogger term isn't that much of a commitment on the scale of things. Like it's, it can seem a lot when you're trying to think of a, a theme and things for it. But um, like for the stuff you get out of it is a, a very, very good offer, I think. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) My thanks again to Karis for speaking to me this week. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to subscribe on the platform of your choice and ring the bell to be notified when the next episode goes live so you never miss one. I hope you'll join us again next week.